paradise outside. <laughs> or a hell. Bit of drilling, a little bit of drilling <laughs> commences as soon as one starts reading poetry, isn't that, isn't that always the case? It's the prose coming in. <laughs> so this is I Dwell in Possibility with Drilling. Hold your breath. There was no drilling in Amherst when uh, this poem was written. Lots of bird songs. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look and you'll see into your imagination. I dwell in possibility, a fairer house than prose. More numerous of windows, superior for doors of chambers as the cedars, impregnable of eye, and for an everlasting roof, the gambrels of the sky. Of visitors, the fairest, for occupation, this, the spreading wide my narrow hands to gather paradise. That's lovely. Could we have a third reading? Um, am I being too demanding here? Just, no, no, not at all. Just because, just because it's quite interesting. They, they sort of ch- it's changing every time. You want the beatbox version, don't you? Hello, and welcome to another episode of Read Me Something You Love. My name is Steve Wasserman, and it is my pleasure and purpose in these here podcasts to get someone I admire to read me a piece of writing that they admire, even love, and then for us to talk about it with gusto. This episode is with Laura Barber, editor, anthologist, poetry doctor, you can Google that, ushering us into the pure imagination of Emily Dickinson. I dwell in possibility, a fairer house than prose, more numerous of windows, superior for doors, of chambers as the cedars, impregnable of eye, and for an everlasting roof, the gambrels of the sky. Of visitors the fairest, for occupation this, the spreading wide my narrow hands to gather paradise. Thank you. Um, I was really interested to kind of listen to the tone of your reading, and I suppose the tone that you read it in, which might be just be your poetry <laughs> reading voice, oh, no. um, but who knows, <laughs> was it felt very kind of playing your tonal cards close to your chest in a way which which also I think I think is very suitable for the poem because the poem even though it seems to be saying it seems to be wearing its heart on its sleeve um, the more times you read it the more kind of occluded and impregnable <laughs> it, it feels in a way well I guess um I mean, one of the things about Emily Dickinson that's so wonderful is that, um, I mean, she does that thing of emotions, you know, recollected in tranquility. There's a sense in which she's actually placed every single word very, very carefully. And the words seem to be supercharged with some meaning that is not entirely clear to the reader. And I think that's partly why I like this poem and partly why I like Emily Dickinson, because she sort of, um, she foregrounds those gaps um, that exist between um, experience or reality and the language in which we can express it and the gaps that exist between one person's ideas and view of the world and another. And, you know, if, if you were to sort of, say, translate the beginning of um, Pride and Prejudice into a different language and then translate it back, you would end up with a slightly different version. Everyone has a different way of sort of um, expressing exactly the same um, choice of words and so if when she says cedars I was thinking about this today what does she what are her associations with cedars of chambers as the cedars 
impregnable of eye, and for an ever everlasting roof, the gambrels of the sky. Is she thinking of the woods around Amherst? Is she thinking of a coffin? You know, is it wood that, is, that is, has a coffin? Is it, um, you know, an oak-panelled room in her father's house, as she described where she lived? Um, you know, what is it? What mm. what are those associations? Because mm. um, for me, cedar is something um, fragrant, you know, and, and, and quite exotic. Mm. Mm. But was, is that what she what, what it means to her? So I think um, I think there is something. You know, you're exactly right that the the poem doesn't immediately yield itself. But I think the great thing about Dickinson, um, which is like a really simple thing when you say it, but that she um, she's known for her dashes. You know, that's mm. the way she punctuates. There's mm. they're kind of their dashes all over the page, um, and I think that sort of buys her some time, and it buys you some time when you're looking at it on the page to actually pause and think, what does that mean? Mm. The other strange thing that she does it feels quite jerky on the page, yeah. doesn't it? It's sort of quite almost. Tourette-ish in a way. That when the first time I kind of read her, I felt it was like like she was almost sort of stuttering yeah. it out. And then, but when you read it aloud, you it, it, you you get you get more of a sort of a smooth rendering. But I think she, I think this is the reason why I read it. I mean, I read poetry badly anyway, but I I, I didn't read it terribly well. Um, it's she it, she is very difficult to read aloud. I don't think she intended for her poems to be read read aloud. Um, and I think that they are they're the sort of tip of the iceberg of what was going on inside. Possibility, Peria, as the cedars of I, the fairest, paradise. Paradise outside. <laughs> as the cedars of I, possibility, Peria, as the cedars of I, the fairest, paradise. Or hell. <laughs> as the cedars of I. That word has come almost become kind of um, fetishized as something that that kind of um, rings a bell for mm. her, and it sort of or sets off a jangle in some way. Possibility. Do you read that as as a benign word? Holy for you. Yeah. Um, because it se- it does seem that way, but of course I I was also thinking about you know uh, the first time I read it, I thought it was benign as well, but then possibility also opens space for rumination, and rumination can also lead one to all sorts of catastrophic ways of thinking. I think that might say more about me than about um, Emily Dickinson because I am very oh, you were sort I'm of glass half oh, full. T- my glass is overflowing, oh, okay. yeah, and oh, it's right. probably got something sparkly <laughs> in it and something delicious in it, yeah. Okay. Um, so. I, and I also think that um, I, if I'm going to dwell in a possibility, I'm going to dwell in the positive one because I think mm-hmm. if I, if there is a situation, there are two ways of looking at it, and what it's you know it would be um, an act of insanity to deny that there is um, um, some darkness. But why would you choose to dwell in that when there is also the light, or mm-hmm. there's the possibility of change? I mean, change. Um, a step forward, progress, um, something different. There's always something new, and why not? Why mm. not hope? Because <laughs> mm. you were saying that this this is a poem that lives very close to you on a daily basis. It's tape. Is it taped next to your? It's taped next to my computer <laughs> at work. Yeah. And is that is that a way? Is it, does that then function as a reminder of this 
the, the manifold possibilities of of our lives? I mean, how does it work in terms of you seeing it on a daily basis? Um, I think for me, um, I edit prose on a daily basis. Um, and and I deal with in poetry um, kind of on, in my, around the around the edges. Um, but I think for me, although this is specifically a poem that sp- um, speaks about poetry and the powers of poetry, um, it also speaks to me about the powers of the imagination. And I think that's... Um, that's something I prize in life enormously. Um, that's what books bring to me, and they bring the possibility of not only imagining fictional worlds, but the possibility of imagining what it might be like for someone else. And with that comes um, the possibility of empathy um, and better understanding and um, a fuller life in, in every sense, a sense in which um, you know one can... Um, walk with someone who is um, experiencing something different um, but also live a million different lives I mean mm. a- any of these books um, in this book filled room will take you somewhere else mm. they will um, bring you an emotion or a thought or a word that you hadn't imagined a different perspective mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think for me the opening up that um, the, that words bring is just the best form of magic mm. I mean the, the idea that these are black lines on a piece of paper and yet even just possibility is such a big vast amazing <laughs> word to come out of that I mean it's it's everything um, and paradise again at the end um, is just I that is obviously a very loaded word and we can I'm sure talk about that later but it's um, it suggests something everlasting and kind of amazing And she sort of, she sets up this contrast, doesn't she? I mean, it's interesting that you have a poem next to your desk, but you are spending most of the day editing prose, and the poem is basically saying, na 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 um, possibility, because possibility also seems to be suggesting possibility equals poetry. I dwell in yeah. poetry, which is... But then what, is, what do you take her to mean when she uses this word fairer? Because, I mean, it's such a... It's, again, it's, it's a word that seems like a very simple word, and we know various connotations, free from bias, um, pleasing in appearance, etc., etc. And yet it's, it sort of has a slightly... I don't know, it's, 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 it's got a slightly ominous ring to it, in a way. Um, well, maybe not ominous, but it's got a... Um, Are you quite glass half empty? <laughs> Can I just ask? Because <laughs> all these things I'm seeing as completely oh, positive words. Do you see fairer um, as just a very straightforward? What, what, how do you see fairer? What is fairer for you? What, what does she mean when she says a fairer house? Than um, how is it fairer? I, I think for me, in in both both senses, fairer as in lighter, brighter, okay. um, uh-huh. and also less judgmental uh-huh. or less jumping to the wrong conclusion. The, the prose, which is quite often a, a very sort of masculine, um, it can be a legal document, it can be um, a, a, a sort of set text that you have to, to learn, or there's this kind of sense of, of rote, um, that poetry is, is freer. And yet, interestingly, poetry, particularly I would say this poem, I'd say any poem really, it's, 
it's not fairer as in um, clearer, brighter, simpler. Quite often it's it's actually, it has in it a hundred more possibilities mm. than, than prose. And that also makes it, can make it more challenging and more unsettling and... I think you're right, because I think prose, the, the, the specific purpose of quite a lot of prose is to actually pin down meaning so that you know exactly what I mean. Whereas here, she's saying there's a whole range of that it, any, it could mean anything. You bring to it what you mm. might think and, and you won't know quite what I mean. She likes secrets quite often, I think, and she, she likes the fact that um, she's creating these little sort of riddles almost. Um, and there's, I mean, it's interesting that she comes back to this word "fairest" in yes, the in the final yes. um, in the final quartet of visitors. The fairest. What do you think is the riddle of this poem? What what is the if there is a secret? What 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 do you think is the what what is the secret it's it's trying to keep? Um, I think um, I think that the thing that she's kind of drawing attention to is the boundaries of of the self, about the boundaries of. Um, the mind and the imagination and the, the unknowable, unknowableness. In one way, that can be a kind of barrier, but in another, it's kind of... Um, it's a delicious thing to have that freedom that you... I mean, I guess it's what, what Kindle does now for you, for you now. No-one can tell what you're reading, so you could be having mm-hmm. any kind of er- adventure on the, on the underground, which I, apparently is why sales of erotic fiction have done so well, because you needn't be embarrassed anymore. But if you're... If you're creating these little words, which seem to be revealing quite a lot, but they actually withhold what the what the meaning is. I mean, she talks about an impregnable of eye. Well, that's what she, that's where we go to in the yeah. second uh, stanza, isn't it? So, although there are all these these windows and 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 doors, mm. and you know, a, 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 for the for the roof there is just the sky. The sky is the limit in terms of what meanings might be. That also, if you're saying there's any possibility, it's also then that creates a freedom for her to sort of just slip away. If you want to view paradise, simply look around and view it. Anything you want to do it, want to change the world, there's nothing to it. Of chambers as the cedars, impregnable of eye, and for an everlasting roof, the gambrels of the sky. In, in the second verse where she's talking about, you know, the, the, poss- the possibility, the, 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 the vastness um, of, of the cedars and, and the everlasting roof of the sky, she uses this word gambrels, which mm. I had to look up, which is uh, a, a roof... It has two sloping parts, um, one at a shallow angle, one at a steep angle, but it's also a metal device for suspending a slaughtered animal, uh, which I quite, I quite like that little Kafka-esque um, thrill that that gives. But, but what, what I had when I sort of knew what a gamble was, was this image of a woman looking out and looking out at the possibility of the sky and the vastness and the possibility, therefore, the metaphorical possibilities that are available to her, but it being framed by an actual house, it being her inside looking out. Mm. Of course, there's a big difference when you're inside looking out at the sky because it's somehow slightly, could be seen as slightly constrained yeah. as well, even though you're aware that it's vast, you only see a portion of it. 
Whereas, of course, if you're actually outside, you get to see the whole thing and mm. you also can lose yourself in the whole thing. And there's almost a sense that she she couldn't because the house is too present in a way. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, she keeps she keeps to this... Um, for the In the first two stanzas, she very, she very much keeps to the house image. She doesn't free herself from that. So even though she's saying everlasting roof, gambrels of the sky... And she, she, and creating space, she's still um, working mm. within a certain framework. Um, and we were speaking about having looked that up. Um, I only looked it up yesterday. I have never, ever known what it means before. And I liked the fact that I didn't know. I deliberately, uh-huh. I thought the word was delicious. I, it uh-huh. gambles. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's sort of like yeah. windowsill. Mm. It's, it's sort of, it's such a lovely kind of... Um, you can feel the word in your mouth and it makes a certain shape uh-huh, and it's, it's sort uh-huh. of almost like gambling or um, mm. but the, it, or it sounds like a kind of uh, a gobble of some kind, you know, mm. gobble, gobble. It, it's mm. got a sort of um, onomatopoeic um, delight in it. And so, and I like the fact that I didn't quite know what it was because, and for me, that, that sort of keeping imaginatively in play a word yes. that you don't quite yes. recognise. And, I, you know, it's, I'm, I'm none the wiser what that, that line yeah. means, even knowing... So even though the poem was there, it's all, it's been there beside your desk and you've seen it on a daily basis and you've read it God knows how many times, yeah. it's almost like by you not look, by you refusing to look it up, you actually kept open the possibilities of that word yeah. as well because it could mean anything. It and to me, it meant something any, really... And I, when I looked at it, there was a bit, moment where I was like, oh, really? I don't, architectural <laughs> details? Yeah, as, and it, because it was also... It, it wasn't... Um, even that that kind of roof it was clearly to her it was i think they are they are actually um you know it's a traditional house in the area that mm. she was living in it's not a traditional house where you know where where i'm from so it wasn't something that felt familiar but it then immediately took the poem away from me mm-hmm. and put it in her world at a certain time um so it kind of closed down some possibilities for me to actually know what the word meant um, and I think also poetry, well, life is full of those weird slippages where you, um, I mean, you have a song lyric that you, you know, I, I misheard love is eternal for love is a turtle for a very long time. Mm. And I actually like love is a turtle far better. Um, and I, I think I also just, um, it's one, because it, I, I was looking t- today about the, those slant rhymes that we were talking about, those kind of half rhymes. Another word for those is lazy rhymes. And I think as a reader, I'm... Once I'm kind of um, excited by something, I can be quite lazy about um, actually pinning down what it means. So, for example, um, if there's a, a person's name that I don't know, quite know how to pronounce, I'm quite happy in my head to leave it as a kind of... Mm, mm. And that's really lazy. <laughs> but I quite like the fact that I haven't then heard it, sort of seen it spelled out. Um, it, it's still there are lots of words which haven't quite letters which haven't quite find, found their proper order. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's something to do with the fact that my mother to to teach me how to read she labelled things in the house. She was a school teacher, so we had bath, table, bed, <laughs> Laura's room, <laughs> um, and I I like that I like the matching up of between of words and concrete things. Uh-huh. I mean I like that. That's one of the things that excites me because you know names are so. And I like the etymology and things like that, but I also like sometimes not knowing. Hmm. But to to do that, you also need to be willing to sort of make mistakes and maybe even sound a little bit foolish at times as well. 
probably this is also to do with with my childhood we moved around a lot when I was a child from the north of England to the south and then to Australia for a while and then to a different part of the south south of England and then to different universities and um, at each point um, I was teased for the way I spoke um, or or noticed and I very quickly learned to um, become a kind of ventriloquist or a mimic Mm -hmm. and to pick up on the way that people were speaking so for example now I'm having to try really hard not to slightly change my vowels to to match yours Uh Um, but I think that's what I hope makes me quite a a good editor because Mm -hmm. I'm to edit you're quite often fiddling around with people's prose and you have to completely inhabit their prose their rhythms their choice of words in order to be able to suggest other alternative ways of of doing it Um, let's go to the third mm. part um, I wanted to ask you about the visitors. Who who do you imagine these visitors to be? What what what, what image do you get of the, of the of the visitors? Do you see people or animals? Or... Oh, I saw people. Okay. Because I suppose because with the, mm. the cedars and I saw animals. I saw I saw deer, for example. Okay. Um, perhaps because she was also saying the fairest, <laughs> and I, and for some reason I thought. Well, what, you know, kind the, of fairest, Bambi? the fairest visitors are going okay. to be... Are going to be deer, obviously. <laughs> going to be deer. going to be people. <laughs> um, I think I... if you're a recluse. Um... <laughs> well, she, she was, she's ob- obsessed by birds. Uh-huh. I mean, and, and she almost seems to have, like, a communication with them, right. like the robins and things. I mean, she, they are a constant presence in her letters. And, and bees, I mean, bees feature a lot in her poems as well. Um, there's a sense in which she is carrying on some kind of communication with, with, um, with animals. But you saw people. I saw people. Well, what kind of people are these? The, the fairest. I um, saw. I mean, I think. That, it, the, the yeah, fair, but yeah. also, which also introduces another sense of hierarchy. It's people she's judging to be the fairest. Right. The people that she allows in, and I, I felt that to be friends, her dear uh-huh. ones, the people uh-huh. she loves, the people she really speaks to. Um, she she mentioned one of her in, at some point in her letters. My business is to love. Uh-huh. I mean, she she's un, unguarded affection for people who she's actually let into this world. They're the people who get these kind of shorthand, um, referential, uh-huh. dashing letters, dashing references to things. So I imagine partly them, partly us, if we're willing to be fair, uh-huh. Uh-huh. to judge her fairly, uh-huh. to enter into the poem on on the right terms mm-hmm. to allow this this play of, of possibility we're we're there mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. she's inviting us in if we are the right kind of reader of visitors the fairest for occupation this the spreading wide my narrow hands to gather paradise this final humdinger you have to do something with your hands when you when you actually because she's doing something with her hands when you when you, when you come to this um, final but it's interesting line. that you brought your hands close together whereas she yes uh, well that's what i was going to ask you about because it's um she uses the word together and for me again this is this is, it feels like she's playing a little game because for, for me gathering is about bringing your hand either to your body or bringing hands to it gathering is doing this mm. isn't it whereas in fact she's doing that she's opening rather than 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 bringing the hands together mm. why i think i i saw it you know it's one of those words that 
again, it's, it's kind of a trick. She's, she's both um, introducing space and restriction at the same time. Um, but I saw it as her almost kind of holding her hands up like this. I mean, you know, it's not very good to do to it on, the, on, on something which yeah. is just audio, but sort of holding them up almost as though she's sort of got them, uh, you know, in a V shape. And actually that just means as in that... As prayer or supplication. Yes. You're, you're, you could be, you could be one sort of those of... pre-Raphaelite <laughs> No, just flailing. No, no, I, but to actually then gather right. it. But she's actually ah, opening okay. herself to the possibility so it can then, almost like a funnel. And actually, in, in a way, the gathering has to happen for a poem to exist, because otherwise it's just in your head. She has to gather to the page. She has mm-hmm. to work, she has to draw down. But the way you were doing it, it almost looked like you were... The, the, the body language was almost a kind of a channeling. Yeah. Um, is that how you see what what? Partly, partly that, what but also doing? the idea of to gather paradise. Um, there could be a sense in which an ascent is imagined in order to be able to to be to be gathered up from from above. I mean, we're seeing this from a, a perspective of below, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. she maybe she is is seeing it from above because there's also that the idea of together and or being gathered in you know the you know the idea of, of death as a, as a kind of gathering in um i mean for me the other association is that um it's a family phrase but the idea of all your people being gathered safely in mm-hmm. so if we're all back home at christmas it's the idea mm-hmm. of we're, we're, we know where everyone is mm-hmm. all our people are are there and so it's a very comforting feeling but here she opens it's there's a kind of breadth to it a, a width again a kind of um an expansiveness which i think is is possibly to do with a religious sense in which um which obviously kind of exists here the everlastingness of it but to gather that to be open to that possibility to be allowed that possibility is what she gets and yet, if you bring in the religious sense mm. of paradise, the capital P, or in this case it is, um, although all the nouns are with capitals, so it's not just paradise that, that, that's capitalised, um, it's sort of, for me, that slightly, um, slightly limits possibility. Whereas I suppose my sense of it, when I, was, when I was trying to do what I imagine her doing, the spreading wide by narrow hands... I got the sense more of a kind of a, com- a completely arbitrary framing device mm. in the sense that I could sit and make this framing device and then I could turn my body and I could frame, say, what I'm looking at, your, your bookshelf. And in that frame, that in that moment, is paradise, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, some, it's an interesting sort of composition, but it's completely arbitrary and that mm. could be paradise as much as... As much as a sort of religious sense of paradise, yeah. which is more fixed. Well, I think I, it means she actually comes back, though, doesn't she? To the big, very, it sort of almost sends you right back to the beginning of the poem, because in in gathering this, in creating this poem, you know, it's it's for occupation. This, this is what poetry is, and then she sends you back to I dwell in possibility. So she sends you back out again. So it's this very um, mm. sort of curious. Um, uh, sort of sort of circular circular thing, which seems to then be almost sort of you know the idea of infinity just kind of going round and round again, yes. like the infinity sign. So I think for me there's something of of that in there. This kind of weird, um, I don't think you can quite explain it. It's like a mind bending um, sense mm. of consciousness. I mean, mm. and and it's the poem that contains it all, doesn't yeah. it? It's like it's it's the one way that where we can contain that 
flooded, overwhelmed, um, numinous self that that sometimes can lead us to a feeling of feeling of insanity. Um, now we were talking before we started that this poem is not in any of your anthologies, but you were saying that it it, it you would put it in an anthology of. Um, um, joyful poems yeah, or poems to make you happy poems to make you happy yeah. now perhaps it's because i bring such a lot of baggage <laughs> and my glass half empty thing sort of persona as well to dickinson is i sort of i sort of get this could be in that kind of anthology i find emily dickinson sort of for me she's like the female kafka in a way <laughs> so i find her so sort of unsettling like that... a beetle What's that? Like a scuttling beetle. A little bit. Like, yeah, that I that I'm not sure this poem sort of makes me happy because it's too tendentious in a way. But you read it in a in a more direct, probably a, forthright a, a less, kind of way, less sophisticated way. I'm sure. I mean, I think I, I also think if I were to put it in an anthology that was poems to make you happy, and you hadn't come across it before, right. maybe you'd think, oh, this is this is one of her happy ones, and you would read it in that context, but. I mean, I think we all, as you were saying, we all come to Emily Dickinson with an idea of who she was and that is going to be poem that, poems that challenge you. I mean, quite often she's associated with poems to do with death, mortality, mm. Mm. Um, grief, madness, aloneness. So I think we bring with with us ourselves poems that sort of we almost re- pre-read, we pre-judge. We are not the fairest visitors in yes. that sense. Yes. I mean, we were talking about, earlier about Larkin. I mean, one, one gets a sense of him as like a, a dour, curmudgeonly, mm. misogynistic, frustrated librarian. And actually some of his love poems are incredibly tender mm. and, and sweet and, and very, very touching and vulnerable. And, I mean, I think that poetry poetry does that because, you know, as we said, you know, no one is one single thing. Yes. No one is one single thing to... Um, the, pe- the people around them. The, there's another quote which actually has just been kind of um, going around in my mind a lot this week, which is kind of one of those things that it's sort of almost too lovely that you kind of it, you could almost imagine it on a t-shirt, and then it would be like I don't want anyone else to know about this. But um, every and this is in response to um, a friend who had had um, or someone had, who died, and she was talking about the way that quite often the best poetry she was talking about other people's poetry comes out of um a grief um and the idea of sort of almost singing on the on the on the funeral parlor steps you know that that kind of slight inappropriateness but it does bring forth fine feelings which are then compressed into brilliant prose um and in response she sort of said you know i'm kind of guilty of that too every day life feels mightier and what we have the power to be more stupendous there's a sense in which brushing up against something um, difficult opens up possibilities of being mm. otherwise mm. and so for me even if you did come to to a poem thinking it's not a great very happy poem hopefully there's enough in this poem enough openness possibility that you might have your mind changed yeah and that seems like the perfect place to to finish i i want to thank you so much for um i mean I, as i emailed you i'm i i'm generally not a, a huge i haven't i've never been a huge emily dickinson fan but the fact that you know i knew that you would be reading her to me and just sort of spending a week thinking about her and reading a little bit around her um it's it's opened up lots of dickinson possibilities for me too so i really want to thank you for Good. that thank you thanks 
So this is the outro, where I have 15 seconds to thank you for giving your media-deluged ears over to our voices. You could say something lovely about us on iTunes if you like. You could, you should, you probably won't, but that's okay. For on this here internet, we're all hermits from Amherst, impregnable of I. Bye. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look and you'll see into your imagination. We'll begin with the spin Traveling in a world of my creation What we'll see will defy explanation Change the world There's nothing